So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to continue uh, this series of looking at different aspects of the Christmas story through the backgrounds of Christmas hymns and carols and one that we have sang this morning, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And so Luke chapter 2 is a very familiar passage. It's one of my favorite uh, passages, not just because of what it says, but because this is uh, Linus's speech in a Charlie Brown Christmas. This is a, this is a part of, and, and I've always been able to memorize, I, I've, I've memorized that portion of scripture from the King James Version, but it's not because I read it and studied it and tried to memorize it, it's because I've watched Charlie Brown so many times. But we're going to read in, in Luke chapter 2 this morning. And uh, how many of you already have your a nativity scene put up at your house somewhere, like in your yard or in your house somewhere? Okay, so hopefully you, you've got it all set up and you've got all the major characters how many of you have an angel as a part of your nativity scene? Like I've seen some that do and some that don't. Um, and angels are some of the most fascinating characters in the narratives of scripture, but they're also some of the most misunderstood characters in the Bible. Um, and, and angels play a huge part in the Christmas story. And all of the songs that we've been singing this morning all talk about angels, if you've noticed, most all of them. Um, angels are a unique part of God's creation, but they are unlike humans in their relationship with God. And there's a lot of misconceptions. That would be for, for a study or a sermon series uh, off in the future. But angels are uniquely created by God. They're celestial beings created by God to serve him um, by carrying out his instructions by being his messengers and by worshiping him. When you look at, at the things that angels do in the Bible, those are the three main things. They carry out the instructions of God. They are God's messengers to man and they, and they are worshipers. Um, but they are not like us. And you say, well, why not? They're, they're not created in the image of God the way we are. When scripture, when, when God made us, he said, let us make man in our image. And that is the only thing in all of creation that God said would be made in his image as you and I. So angels, though we often acquaint them as people, they're not people. They're not people made in the image of God. Um, they aren't also a common misconception. They're, angels aren't humans who became angels. Angels are unique. They were created um, separately. And no matter how many times we watch It's a Wonderful Life and we, and we identify with Clarence, everybody loves Clarence and It's a Wonderful Life. But Clarence's story that he's, he's someone who died and he has to earn his wings, um, to get that, that's not a, that makes a good Christmas story, makes for a good movie. But it's not a, it's not a biblical um, concept when it comes to angels because angels actually would be jealous of you and I, because angels can't have a redemptive relationship with God the way you and I do. Jesus didn't come to redeem the angels. He came to redeem us. And so in that aspect, we are the pinnacle of his creation and God sets us apart differently. And angels would look at the kind of relationship that you and I can have with God and wish they could have that sort of relationship with God. But as we look in Luke chapter 2, angels play a huge part in the Christmas story. And so look with me in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 15 this morning. 
very familiar. Beginning in verse 8, Luke writes and says, In the same region, this is from the CSB, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now there are lots of Christmas carols about angels, but, but Hark the Herald Angels Sing is a carol that was written by Charles Wesley. And you may be familiar with the name Charles Wesley. He and his brother John were two of the um, primary founders of the Methodist Church. And Charles Wesley was an acclaimed hymn writer. He was an accomplished hymn writer. He wrote over 6,500 hymns in his lifetime, as many as 10,000 hymns Charles Wesley wrote. He was a theologian. He was a minister. And uh, he and his brother John um, were, were predominant in the founding of the Methodist denomination. But Charles Wesley wrote this along with lots of other hymns. If you wanted to go and just Google Charles Wesley hymns, you would see several um, that you would recognize that are predominant. We sing, when we sing Christ the Lord is risen today at Easter time, that's a Charles Wesley hymn. There, there are lots and lots that you will be familiar with. But this hymn was originally titled A Hymn for Christmas Day. And I want to show you just for, for history's sake, the comparison between the original lyrics that Charles Wesley wrote in uh, 1739 and then the adaptation of those lyrics the way we read them today. They've been changed just a little bit. And so if you look at them, uh, Wesley's original in 1739 says, Hark, all, how all the welkin rings. Now, hark. Again, hark is like an exclamation to say, hey, listen, pay attention. Can I have your attention? That sort of thing. Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the king of kings, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, universal nature say, Christ the Lord is born today. So you can see that alongside the version of the hymn that we sing now. Um, we can credit to Nahum Tate and Nicholas Brady um, in 1782, which they took Wesley's version and adapted it just slightly. 
So many of these hymns, when you study them, you'll find that there was an original writing and then over the years they were adapted as music was changed and added to it. Actually, um, I believe in my study, I found that Hark the Herald Angels Sing actually had two different sets of music before it was given the melody that we uh, sing. Um, I believe I read uh, that originally it was sang, and previously it was sang to the tune of Amazing Grace. Um, <laughs> Was one, of the, was one of the ways that, that people would sing this hymn. But Wesley wrote this hymn based on Luke chapter 2, verse 14. This proclamation of the angels to the shepherds in the fields near Bethlehem that Jesus had come. And so we sing songs about this moment. We, we read about this moment. And I feel like most of us have a picture in our minds of what we think this moment would have looked like. But I want to challenge you a little bit this morning, and I hope maybe that you will leave thinking that whatever picture you had when you read this or sing a song about this and what you picture, that what you've pictured all along is way too small, is way too insignificant. If we look specifically at verse 9, it says, Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So if we look at, at this announcement, it begins with one angel, right? In verse 9. We're not, we don't have the multitude yet. We have just the one angel. One angel appeared to the shepherds and the angel is unnamed. We don't know what his name is. His name isn't Harold. Um, and and some, that, that's, that's common for people to think and wonder that. But no, his name is not Harold. Um, most scholars believe that this could have been Gabriel um, because of his language and it's similar to the language he uses when he reveals himself to Mary and to others in the story uh, where he is named. Um, but in this particular case, we don't know exactly who the identity of the angel of the, Lord, of the Lord is in this moment. But that word angel is a Greek word, angelos, which means messenger. A messenger or one who is sent with a message. And so it begins with one. So it says an angel of the Lord stood before them. Now that's, that's shocking enough. And there are lots of times where we see people encounter angels. The angel of the Lord would appear to them. And, 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 and that rocked their world. But then in addition to that, it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now whenever we read the glory of the Lord... And whenever the glory of the Lord reveals itself to man, we can know that, that that means that his presence is there. So whenever it talks about the glory of the Lord, it means that the glory of the Lord is accompanied by his presence. And the glory of the Lord is also always accompanied by a bright, brilliant, powerful light. Everywhere in scripture where we see the glory of the Lord described it's described in this powerful light. So I want you to consider the shepherds for just a minute. We've probably all tried to put ourselves in the place of the shepherds in this moment. We've talked about shepherds a lot lately in, in the past few sermon series. But what you need to know about shepherds is that they were not valued members of society. They were outcasts. They were troublemakers. <laughs> they, were, they were not considered... Um, a part of normal society. Uh, most of them had the reputation of being thieves and criminals and crooks. 
Um, they, they just were not highly regarded at all in this culture. And so they would have been out with the sheep and we've talked a lot about the sheep and talked about what Jesus talked about with the sheepfold. And so you're familiar with that. So you know now that during the day, the shepherds would have their sheep out in the field grazing out in the pastures. And then at night, they would gather them together. They would take them into the sheepfold, right? Close them up. And then the shepherds who would have been sleeping out with them, um, they would have taken turns resting during the night where one is awake. They don't want to all go to sleep because an animal, a, a predator, somebody could get in to the sheepfold, a thief. And so they didn't want that to happen. So they would take turns guarding. So you've got this group of shepherds, dirty, nasty, questionable shepherds. Uh, laying around, most of them sleeping, one probably awake enough just to make sure the sheep were okay. And then the glory of God erupts all around them in a moment. And I don't know how many of you are fans of Christmas Vacation. When I think about this moment for the shepherds, I couldn't help but think about Todd and Margot. And you know the scene I'm talking about when they're, they're up in their bedroom and they're looking forward to a nice quiet evening alone and everything's dark and Clark finally figures out why his lights aren't working and he connects those jokers together and that brilliant, huge light comes shining through their window all at once. You remember? And what happens? They, they drop all their stuff and they fall and they scream and they tumble down the stairs and, and you know, everything breaks. It's that like everything's quiet and still and all of a sudden, boom! I think this is kind of the picture of what the shepherds might have experienced uh, in this moment. That they're just there. They're just chilling. It's quiet, sleepy. And then all of a sudden, the glory of God just erupts all around them in an instant. I don't think that the glory of God erupts slowly. I have a, like my alarm on my iPhone. I usually sleep by my iPhone. And when I set my sleep alarm, I don't know if yours does this too, if you've got it set this way, when it starts to play the song, it starts out really quiet. And then it, like where you can hear it, and it's not, it's not, it doesn't make you jump, but it's enough that it wakes you up where you can hear it. And then the, the longer you let it play, the louder it gets. And it's gradual. And that, that's for a purpose, like so that you don't, like just, it doesn't shock you when you wake up. Um, but I don't think the glory of God comes in anywhere like that. I think it's, it's, it's huge and it's big. And I think we also picture the shepherds being in the field and, and this angel appearing to them and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. I think we just kind of picture this glowing angel kind of maybe floating up in the sky. Um, but when it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. There are other places in scripture where we see people encounter the glory of the Lord. Moses encountered the glory of God in, in the burning bush. Um, Peter, James, John encountered the glory of God when they were with Jesus on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in and, and, and both of those, both of those, the, Jesus was transfigured and it says he, he, he glowed. There was this amazing light. 
in the burning bush was represented the holiness of God, the presence of God was represented by fire. But in, but in all of those instances, the glory of God came before them, like it was in front of them. Um, and we'll read in a minute about how Moses, when Moses said, God, let me see your glory, God allowed a part of his glory to kind of pass over, pass by Moses. But I just read this different. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. It wasn't a kind of glory that was just in front of them. It was a kind of glory that surrounded them. It's not that they were before the glory of God, but they were in the middle of the glory of God. It's shown around them that, that there's not a place that they could have looked or turned where they didn't see the glory of God. And I just think that's different. Instead of it being in front of you, it's a picture of they're, they're right in the middle of the glory of God, in, in, enveloped by it. And so their response, like anyone who ever came into the presence of an angel or the presence of the glory of God, was fear. I mean, they had never seen anything like this before. Have you? If you saw this, if you saw an angel and you saw a, the light of the glory of God surrounding you in the middle of the night, like you would be scared out of your mind. This is, so of course, the proper response is fear. They feared for their life. They would have been afraid that whatever was coming on them, they didn't know what it was, but their instant first thought probably was, we're about to die. Like this is, <laughs> uh, we don't know what this is, but it's so overwhelming, it's so big, uh, this is it. Like, I'm just gonna die right here on this field. And there's good reason for them to have thought that because the glory of God is, is fierce. It's huge. If we go back to Exodus, I wanna show you a couple of passages in Exodus where, where people beheld the glory of God. Exodus 24, verses 16 and 17, it says, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. This is when Moses went to receive the commandments from the Lord. And the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. And the appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like what? A consuming fire on the mountaintop. That the glory of God revealed itself like a consuming fire. Exodus chapter 33. Later on, this is what I was talking about earlier. Verses 18 through 20. It says, then Moses said, please let me see your glory. Can you imagine Asking God that, let me see your glory. And God said, he said in verse 19, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name, the Lord, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 20, but he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. Like when we talk about the glory of God, that is a powerful, fierce, overwhelming thing that we can't behold. Uh, I, I sometimes think, have the thought when I'm singing worship songs or you sing a song um, that says, Lord, let me, let me see 
you. Um, I remember that old song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up. Like we would sing that song, and, but we shouldn't sing songs like that casually. Because Moses said, God, I want to see you. And, and God said, well, you can't because you would die. If I show you all of my glory in this, in, in this moment, it's too much for you. You, you can't. And so it's like this is, this is the glory of God. God's glory doesn't change. So this is the glory of God that was, that was on that hillside that day, that was in that pasture when those shepherds saw this angel. This is our God, a God of, of holiness. The glory of God comes from the holiness of God. And the reason we can't take the, the glory of God and we can't endure it to behold it because of his holiness. He is so much more holy than we are. He's so much more set apart. But this glory is what surrounded them so that, so fear would have been the proper response. They weren't doing anything wrong by being afraid. Like that's exactly how they should have been when the glory of God shows up, bursts out of nowhere, surrounds them. And this angel speaks to them. But what is the first thing that the angel says to them? Look in verse 10. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Really? That's what we're supposed to do. Not be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. Which will be for all the people. Today in the city of David a savior was born to you. Who is the Messiah the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. The angel corrects them and says, look, don't, don't be afraid. Because this revelation of the glory of God, this, this showing that you're expecting to overcome you and, and, and has the power to destroy you and kill you, there's good news that comes with this. Like this proclamation of God's glory is for good. This is not bad news of judgment. This is good news of joy. So the glory of God was revealed in this overwhelming power and fierceness in this spectacle of an angel and the glory of God. But then notice what the angel says the sign is. What's the sign of the glory of God that is coming? It's a baby. Before in the Old Testament, all the signs of the glory of God were these things like fire and, and the pillar of cloud and, and bright lights and, 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 and over, overwhelming fierceness. But he says the sign for you is a baby. When we sing in that hymn, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That phrase mercy mild, that, that isn't saying that God's mercy is mild. Like, like there's different levels of God's mercy and, and that his is mild, it's not. The mercy of God is great. But the revelation of his glory and his mercy 
was mild in the fact that it was a baby. All of the glory of God was, was coming to man, but it was coming in this sign that was so small and so peaceful and tender and, and the most compassionate thing that you, you can think of. The sign wasn't fire. It wasn't a huge spectacle, which would have been appropriate for the glory of God. But he says, the sign that's come to you, that the presence of God is with man, is a baby. A baby wrapped up in, t- swaddled in cloths and laying in a feeding trough for an animal. <laughs> so I think that's what is in the other verse of Heart the Herald. Look at the next verse. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, the deity of Jesus. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. And these are my favorite lines. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. Hail is a, is a proclamation of honor and worship. Hail, the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. The fullness of deity. Veiled in flesh. Because we couldn't behold the face of God in its fullness. Like Moses wanted to. And he said, Moses, you can't. So the full glory of God comes in this veiled baby so that we could behold him. And in John's gospel, what does it say about Jesus in chapter one? He says, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten son of the father. Veiled in flesh so that we could see him and we could behold him and we could worship him. Hail the incarnate deity. And he was offspring from a virgin's womb. Larry King once was asked if he could interview anybody in all of human history, dead or alive, who would he interview? And Larry King answered, Jesus Christ. And when he was asked why he would choose to interview Jesus, this is his answer. Quote, I'd ask him if he indeed was virgin born. The answer to that question would interpret all of history. And Larry King is absolutely right. And the virgin birth of Jesus does interpret all of history and interprets all of history for mankind, but it interprets my history and your history. It's personal. The Christmas story is just full of so much that we really can't behold. So much glory. And we just do the best we can with what we've got. Because the greatest thing you could imagine this moment being like with these shepherds and and the angel of the Lord and the glory of God shining around them and surrounding them. The, the, The greatest thing you can imagine isn't even going to come close. You know why? Because we're limited. Every experience and every knowledge that we have only goes so far. So the best we can come up with, the, the, the biggest imaginative picture of what this moment would have looked like, we can't even come close to it. 
But we can try. And I think we should try. Because the glory of God transcends all of it. How glorious would the glory of God be if we could imagine exactly what it was like? Wouldn't be very glorious. So because this was literally the greatest news of the greatest joy that would ever come, the appearance of one angel wasn't enough, was it? So up until this point, we've only seen one angel and we've seen the glory of God surrounding the shepherds. Now look at verse 13. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So as, if, if one angel wasn't enough to overwhelm us and this being surrounded by the glory of God, if that wasn't enough, now a multitude of angels join the one who has come to give the message. And they do what we see angels do in scripture. They are worshiping. They are glorifying God for what he's done. Now, I want you to stop and try to imagine this for a minute. And I'm going I'm to challenge you here. Luke, when he writes this gospel, he uses the word multitude. A multitude of the heavenly host. What kind of picture have you always had in your mind when you imagine what this moment would have been like? Do you see a, a quartet of angels? Or, or maybe an ensemble of angels, maybe eight or ten? Or, or do you imagine a choir of angels? Like think of a choir, uh, the biggest choir you've ever seen, like in a church service, a choir of hundreds. Is that, is that the picture that you have of the angels as they're worshiping God in this moment? Maybe uh, maybe bigger than a choir, maybe like a whole congregation. Like we think of a church that might have two, three, four thousand people in it. Is that kind of the multitude that we picture? Or what if the multitude was as big as how many people were in Atlanta at the SEC championship last night? What if that's the multitude? Like just how big is a multitude? Well, the highest number for which there is a Greek word is myriad. It's a Greek word where you've heard the word myriad. That's a word that's rooted in Greek. And that Greek word was commonly used for 10,000. So if, if you were talking about like 10,000 of something, you would use the word myriad. So then in the Greek, if it was more than 10,000, which was a lot, they would say myriads and myriads. They would repeat it twice and use the word twice. So that just meant like thousands of 10,000s. That's like lots and lots. But Luke doesn't use that word myriad. He uses a different word, a different Greek word that's for multitude. And multitude is even bigger than that. So we're talking about maybe tens of thousands of tens of thousands. More than that, because there was, there was Greek language to describe tens of thousands of tens of thousands. So we could have just said myriad and myriads and myriads. But he uses this word multitude, and there's not really a number for that. So here's, here's my challenge, or here's my thought. This is just Eric's brain, okay? So just take it for what you want. How would it be, what would it say about the glory of God? 
if the number of angels, the, heaven, the number of the heavenly hosts that joined the angel that night were just as big or smaller than the biggest gathering of people ever on earth. I thought for this to be, like this is the glory of God proclaiming the incarnation. Nothing bigger has ever happened. So I'm thinking it it would be really disappointing if the number of angels were less than whatever the, the most people that have ever gotten together for anything has been. And so then I started thinking, well, what is that? What is the biggest gathering of people that have ever gotten together? And, and here's what I found. This is either the largest or one of the largest. But in 2019, the largest gathering of people in history was a Hindu religious ceremony that was held in, in India. And this Hindu ceremony is called the Kum Mela. And in 2019, 200 million people gathered in India for the observance of this Hindu festival. Now, this was something that happened over several days. But in one of those days, there were 50 million people. 50 million people who all gathered together in one place on the same day. So that's a lot of people. In my mind, how could the heavenly hosts who broke through the sky that night proclaiming the coming of Jesus to the world be less than that? For a Hindu religious ceremony, don't we, I'm pretty sure that the glory of God is gonna top that like by a whole lot. I don't know about how much, but a whole lot. So let's just say 200 million. I mean, let's, let's be real. There were, there were 10 million people who attended the funeral of the Ayatollah Khomeini in 1989. When, when the Ayatollah died, there were 10 million people who came to his funeral. Why, when we read this verse, do we picture a choir of a couple of hundred angels. This is the glory of God. This is way bigger than any of these things. And so I, so I want you to change your picture now. For the rest of your life, when you read this and when you sing about the multitude of the heavenly host praising God, imagine being one of those shepherds on that hill and Everywhere, one there's one angel, and now the one angel that was that that was there, they I don't even know if they can see him anymore, because the multitude of the heavenly host came, and literally millions upon millions upon millions of the heavenly host are surrounding them. The glory of God shone around them, so there's not anywhere that they can turn and look that they don't see the glory of God and they don't see this multitude of the heavenly host singing his highest praises. Nowhere. There's not, this isn't a picture of, they're, they're just all sitting on the hill going, wow, look at that. Like, it, like, a, like a stage in front of them. Like that's too little. It was everywhere. Literally, there wasn't anywhere they could turn that they didn't see it and behold it. 
and that it wasn't just overwhelming them in that moment. And what were they saying? Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, meaning all of heaven worship, and peace on earth to people he favors. Peace on earth. So let God be praised in his fullness in heaven and in the fullness of earth, is what the multitude's saying. But then we read that last verse and it says, peace on earth to who? To everybody? Well, it says to the ones, to the people he favors or the ones on whom his favor rests, your your Bible may say. You say, well, who are those people? Like I want the favor of God, right? You want the favor of God because if the peace of God is for the ones, the people he favors, then I want to be somebody he favors Because the peace of God is something that I need. So how do you get the favor of God? We might be inclined to say that you earn it. Because how do we gain favor with one another? How do we gain favor at our jobs? How do we gain favor in in anything? We we earn it. It's kind of how we're programmed. But this isn't a proclamation of saying peace on earth to the people he favors because they've earned it. Because we know through the rest of the council of scripture, you can't earn it. Because it's too big, it's too great. It can only be given. This is an expression of of the will of God, the free choice of God to give his favor to whomever he pleases. And peace on earth to people he favors. You say, who are the people God favors? Anybody he wants to. And what, and what does he say? Who are the ones who he favors? The ones who have put their faith in him. The ones who follow. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy he has, what? Given us new birth given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable. How do you earn an inheritance? You don't. You're given an inheritance because of your relationship that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Faith determines whether we are the ones favored by God. The ones who have put their faith in him. Look at this last verse. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. A reference to the resurrection of Jesus right in the middle of a song about his birth. Mild he lays his glory by. He he set aside, he came in the form of a servant. Didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. There's a reference to that resurrection again that's coming, right? For all those who believe. Raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. The whole reason that Jesus was born 
on earth once is so you could be born twice. He was born into this world once so that you could experience a second birth in him through faith. So Hark the Herald Angels Sing isn't even a song about angels. It's a song about the message that the angels came to bring and how good it was and how great it was and how glorious it was. Heart the Herald Angels Sing is just another song about how incredible Jesus is.